Hey there, Discerning ThoughtBot podcast listener. I just wanted to take a quick moment to ask for your feedback. There's so many cool things that we'd love to do with all the shows and want to know how you feel about our sponsor reads and the possibility of starting a Patreon-style campaign to make them all possible. If you could head over to tbot.io slash survey for a super short questionnaire, your input would be much appreciated. That link again is tbot.io slash survey. And hey, thanks. Hey, everybody, this is Gordon in Austin. And this is Mark in San Francisco. And this is Build Phase. Whoa, it's dark. <laughs> Did you not notice it was dark until there was video on you? Right. Why are you sitting in the dark? I don't know. I did, it, it wasn't always dark. I wasn't just, and it wasn't that dark. It's just, you know, cameras suck. Got it. You know, yep. no, not great low light support. Plus, it was like, it was fine in here. And then I was sitting, getting ready and stuff. And then it got dark, you know. Like the sun started going down. Right, right. Or at least I get less. Like we look out over the pool. So there's apartments across from us. So we don't get direct sunlight ever anyway. Like it's normally we get plenty of light in here, but it's always like bouncing off the apartments across the way from us. So when that sun starts going away, it gets dark quick. I'm assuming you live in an apartment complex. I do. a pool. Do people (laughs) use that pool? Yeah, all the time, actually, especially now in the summer. There was someone out there swimming this morning, and it's like mm-hmm. a really freaking loud, <laughs> like anyone sitting outside talking, you can hear them, like it just echoes throughout that area. You can hear them really, really clearly. I lived in a few apartments in Southern California, and they all had pools, obviously, and I don't mm-hmm. recall ever seeing anybody in swimming them. in them that, w- that wasn't like visiting from somewhere. Mm-hmm. I think people use this pool pretty frequently. There's definitely a lot of people, like people hang out by the pool here a lot. I have never been down there. I have no idea how to get to that pool. I only recently realized that it was on the second floor, not the first floor. You probably have a key. There's a special key somewhere. Sure. Probably. Maybe. I don't know. But I can, I, like, I can picture most of the complex in my head and I can't picture how to get to where that thing is. Other than jumping out my window, which seems ill-advised. Yeah. I think I could make it, but. <laughs> um, second floor? Or it, is floor? On the, it is on the second floor. I am on the fourth. Oh, it's okay. So two floors. Two floors. About 20, 20 feet. Sure. I got a How nimble are you? Not very. <laughs> but, but there's a balcony that extends, I don't know, three or four feet out further. So I think that would help me clear the... Uh, walkway if i learned anything from bear grills you're going to want to tuck and roll it out perpendicular to down into perpendicular pain to down. and death uh-huh. right i'm looking at it now and i'm realizing that there is an awning over my little patio thing which if i think... I've learned anything from cartoons you're not going to want to roll you just want to hit the awning right that's and then try not to bounce into something else that's definitely what would happen if i tried this i would jump up i would hit my back on that thing, it would end very poorly. I like to, I'm picturing you jumping off, mm-hmm. hitting the awning, and it just spring you right back up onto your feet on your own balcony. Like, huh? Right. Oh no, that I'm sorry. The, the awning is above 
So my, my concern isn't hitting the awning on the way down. My concern is that there's like an awning for my patio, right? So like my concern is if I stand up on the railing, it probably only gives me about six inches before the awning is above me. You know what I mean? Mm. So mm-hmm. if, I, if I jump up, I guess I'd want to jump out anyway. Yeah, just take the stairs. It does seem safer. Has anybody told you that you are acquiring a Texas accent? I have not heard that. Am I? I hadn't noticed. I hadn't noticed mm-hmm. until just now. What did I say? I don't think it was anything in particular. Um, mm-hmm. You're just you're really leaving the G's off. Like you left the G's <laughs> off of words before, but they are completely gone. You're barely pronouncing the N. <laughs> I really hear the apostrophe. That's what I hear. <laughs> cool. <laughs> That's good to hear. Because I'm assuming you had one at at some point, and then I, it I just kind of went dormant while living in know. Boston. I don't know. I've never heard. I mean, the only person in my family that I can say, like, you definitely have an accent is my uncle. But his name's Randy. He works. He was in the oil business in Houston. He has a big mustache. He, he, he is awesome. He, he has 100 acres outside my hometown where he now raises deer, which is really cool. Anyway, so Randy has an accent, but Randy's from Beaumont, which is out way out east texas it's basically louisiana but then i've heard that my dad has an accent and i don't hear it when my dad talks but everyone but like irvy says that my dad has an accent that's a good indication that you are also acquiring an accent right i don't know i wouldn't be surprised and i'm all self-conscious about every word i say though (laughs) good let's record a podcast (laughs) thanks for doing that (laughs) so what's up how's it going it's going good xc configs that's been your life? Yes. Yeah. I finally decided to move us over to, you know, flat files for configuration instead of having everything set in the project. Mm-hmm. Primarily for two reasons. One, moving it all over forced me to understand exactly why everything is set the way it is and set where it is. Yep. There were a lot of very, very old build settings in there that had just kind of never been audited in the last couple of years. For instance, for some reason, we were overriding the architectures setting so instead of just you know arch standard we were explicitly specifying like arm 64 and arm v7 oh wow seemed wrong yes (laughs) so remove stuff like that (laughs) took things that were truly common across all targets and put them up at the project level and i have a i have sort of a set of configs now that i could probably share across like other projects and Hmm. then a set that's customized just for venmo uh it's nice so it's really cool. now it's like painfully obvious if anything changes in the build settings, it's super clear in a PR that you've changed something and it's not just hidden in with a hundred other right. you know, parts right. of the project file diff. That sounds really interesting. I know that Justin Spar Summers had a XC configs repo for a while. And there's another one that does like universal libraries that we've talked about before. And I've always thought they were interesting but i think i think the kind of conditional include stuff is what was keeping me away from looking into them too much you know i didn't need to use that you uh, that, didn't no that I is that, so that wasn't is, that the thing that made you say like oh this i can go use this now and then you ended up not using it or am i making um, that up no that wasn't what was blocking me i just kind of hadn't gotten around to it and mm. wasn't too sure how it was going to work with cocoa pods which is still it's not great 
specifically because inheriting in these configuration files doesn't work like you might think. Mm-hmm. If you include a config and you know you specify that config for a specific target, mm-hmm. you won't inherit things that are from the same level as you. Mm. Right? So if I include a CocoaPods config that is setting the framework search paths and then I also have framework search paths and it starts with a dollar sign parens inherited. inherited. Yeah. It's not going to inherit. You're going to blow out the framework search paths and set it to be inherited in whatever you set. Mm-hmm. And what you will inherit is settings at the project level. So there's sort of the like SDK default below that is the project and below that is target specific configs. And the inheritance only goes from level to level and not mm-hmm. within one level. Mm-hmm. I guess that makes sense. It does, yeah. There was nothing specific, though, for us that we needed to set at the target level that CocoaPods was also trying to set. Right. I moved a couple things up to the project level, but overall it worked out pretty well. But we are also very close to removing CocoaPods entirely, mm-hmm. so this won't even be an issue. Mm-hmm. I did see someone mention on Twitter that they were using the conditional includes of XC configs to set a specific value only for CI. And... This XE config obviously only lives on that build machine. So in mm-hmm. the presence of it, build settings get tweaked accordingly hmm. when like running on Jenkins. Uh, but otherwise, they don't. I don't remember specifically what they were using it for. Yeah, I'd be interested to know what they were turning on or off. Because my knee-jerk reaction to that is <laughs> like building your project differently on CI defeats some of the purpose of... <laughs> building your project on CI. <laughs> I think it might have been specifically related to code signing so that the mm-hmm. like the signing identity and the provisioning profile that were, you know, creating builds for the App Store only lived on this one machine mm-hmm. that like maybe only one or two people had access to. Mm-hmm. And that way when they were doing builds, they didn't have to specify these things in a configuration that everyone can see. It just sort of gets optionally included only on your build box. Mm-hmm. That would make sense. Yeah, that would make sense. But if they were like turning off optimization, you know, I'm just making stuff up, but like, yeah, there are only a few cases where that seems like a good idea. Yeah. I'd like to see an example of, of an app using configs thoroughly. I was reading blog posts by Samantha Marshall. Mm -hmm. She has an incredible wealth of information about XC configs and project and best practices for code signing. There's an article. The most recent article is about migrating from Xcode seven code signing to automatic or manual code signing on Xcode 8. Those were super, super helpful, but I would love to see an example of how she has her project set up. Yeah. Something about getting away from the Xcode project file format is very appealing. Yes. I would love to move to more of like a something that's based on the directory structure. I Ugh. think we were we were talking offline. If if I could represent a target right. by just putting all of my files in a specially named folder. You know mm-hmm. how like OS 10 will treat folders with extensions as like packages. Yeah. If there was such a thing as an XC target directory mm-hmm. and then it was all just keyed off of the structure of that directory. And then I could have maybe one specific XC config, you know, that goes to that, that would remove so much crap from the project file. Mm-hmm. Yep. And it would mean that you never again accidentally have a file that, is linked to the wrong target or never again have a file that exists on disk 
or exists in your project, but isn't linked into anything. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like there have been a number of times where I've been on a project looking at a test file going like, why does this pass? There's no way this test should pass. And it's like, oh, it doesn't pass. Someone just unlinked it from the test bundle. But you're sitting there running the test going like, clearly this should fail. Like what? Like this seems like an important test and it's failing. You know, keying off the directory structure would avoid that entirely. Yeah, I'm just not clear on how you would share a file across multiple targets. My bet is that that's why they haven't moved off of Xcode project file format, right? And haven't, because yeah. it seems like it would be easier to move towards something basically like how, like what Swift Package Manager is doing, right? Because so, Swift Package Manager is doing the same thing. You just have a sources directory, and then inside there you have, like, and we've actually been structuring our projects this way already, where we have a sources directory at the top, and then we normally don't nest it in the app name, but, like, we had one project, we were doing one project a while ago where we were building out three frameworks at the same time, right? We were building out the app, and then an SDK that was going to be used by the app, and then a helper library for testing support. So we had a sources directory... And inside the sources directory, we had an app folder, and then we had a backend directory, which is what we were just calling that SDK, and then we had a testing support directory, which is what we were then importing into the tests. So we structured our directory structure in a way that would have, like, we just took a lot of cues from how Swift Package Manager structured projects, right? Because that's how that would have worked with Swift Package Manager, Right. But my assumption is that is that the reason Xcode or anything out like that we're not moving in that direction for app bundles is because sometimes you want one piece of code linked in two places. Although, honestly, other than with like Argo and Runes and our frameworks, I can't think of a single place that I've ever had to do that. Like, are y'all doing that? Yeah, in some of our frameworks, because we'll have a target for iOS and a target for watchOS. Right. But other than that, other than like frameworks where you have to link one file into multiple targets, just because we have to build different versions for different platforms. And I do understand that that's a very big, like that's a very big, well, yeah, like other than that major use case, but like day-to-day app development, because I, I see that as being a problem in and of itself, right? The fact that I have to build four frameworks for Argo and Runes, I think that is a problem, right? But so other than that, like just doing app development, I just can't think of anywhere else where I've needed to link one file into two different places. Yeah, in an app, that probably means you're doing it wrong, honestly. If you need to share code among two targets, that should probably be in a framework. Because then it gets compiled once and it's explicitly linked into two products mm-hmm. instead of, you know, saying this one file, you tick that target membership box and it's what it's actually doing is it's taking either the implementation file in Objective-C or the Swift file itself and adding it to the compile sources phase of that target. Right. And so that file is going to get compiled twice unnecessarily. Now, I mean, now you have basically two duplicated compiled objects going into this final product when really it could just be one. Right. The argument there would be that, well, I have to do that anyway for... So if I have a thing that needs to be shared across platforms, for example, across like I've got an iOS app and a Mac app, 
and I have code that needs to be shared across both of those, I could either link them into each target or I could link them into the two different frame, like a framework that's named the same, but is really two different frameworks, one for Mac and one for iOS. There's no way to get around compiling that twice. But again, I think that having to do that for frameworks is essentially a bug, right? Yeah. I'm still not convinced. And I think I just read something about this on Samantha Marshall's blog that was saying that like that multiple target approach for multiple products is Mm -hmm. probably not right. Because at the end of the day, what you're really trying to say is the target is Argo. The target's not Argo iOS. The way that that becomes Argo iOS is by using a scheme that mixes in a certain set of configurations Mm -hmm. with that target. And then those things come together and produce something that is tailored to a specific platform. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. That's what schemes do. They, they bring targets and configs together to produce output. Mm -hmm. So I've been thinking a little bit about this and I would like to try to, it's not the universal framework approach, but it is using schemes to produce different products that differ say in architecture or a, sorry, in SDK Mm -hmm. and just have one target. Yeah. That'd be easier to manage for sure. Yeah, so you have a scheme that's like build iOS, build Mac, build TVOS. Although I guess you would you're just saying you would just set those things on a scheme basis. Can you even do that? So to be clear, I've only seen this work with that universal framework technique. And then mm. you just have a scheme and that scheme can just build for whatever platform you tell it to build for. I think how that approach differs is that that is one target, one scheme with right. every supported platform that gives you a fat framework that has all of the architectures you need included. No, no, no. Well, no. But it doesn't do a fat framework. You specifically specify a platform when you're building, right? So you can build for Mac and it will build a Mac version of that target. And then you can rebuild for iOS, right? But you can't build once and then just have that thing work on iOS and Mac. Oh, right. That's okay. So that is more similar to what I'm explaining. But, right. But I think I'm proposing using schemes. Right. And this would just be one scheme with you, where you just choose the destination. Yeah, really. Well, the, the configuration would differ. I think it's a lot easier to think about this if we were doing like right. an Xcode build command. Right. right. You'd specify the project. You'd specify that the configuration is iOS release. Mm-hmm. And that changes the settings required. So that when you build this target, what right. you're getting out of it is an iOS target or an and iOS then, product. Yeah. And then you would have an iOS scheme that's set up to build with that configuration. Got exactly. it. Exactly. Yes. Right. So then it's just literally as simple as here's the scheme I want. My scheme is I'm building an iOS product. Mm-hmm. But inside of Xcode, it's just a target. The, right. The target is your your thing. It links all the files. You don't have to duplicate them. Mm-hmm. I should do that. Yeah. I think I'm going to do it too talk myself into it (laughs) there's a reason that i haven't been doing the universal thing but i don't remember what it is but this might be different enough that it solves those problems yeah this way seems to work just within what xcode gives you i think the thing that universal framework thing seems not officially documented right well it's basically just throwing every config at xcode and just saying like just figure it out yeah, what what are the different configs? I thought this approach involved an aggregate target. What do you mean? I thought that there were multiple targets in this setup and that 
the target you're actually building is is an aggregate build target in Xcode, which is a target that builds many targets. Let's hmm. see. Is it M Rackwitz? Yeah, GitHub? that's the that's the GitHub. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, this is doing the supported platforms thing. Right. Yeah. Mac and it OS. just throws all of them. It just throws all of them in there. Right. And then it sets like the valid architectures and the search paths and all that stuff mm-hmm. varying by the SDK that's currently being built. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, I guess this should work too. I don't see the problem with this. So there was an issue that I opened with because I tried using those exact XC configs. I set up Curry at one point to use that technique, those XC configs. And Paul Young mentioned that he was using Mockingjay, which is uh, HTTP stubbing library. He was using Mockingjay in his project, and he had he basically said, I'm using this, here's the downside, specifically that because Mockingjay is a universal framework, Xcode can't infer the correct device for device for the scheme. So sometimes it tries combinations like building his iOS app for the Mac. And so sometimes this means having to manually pick the correct device for the scheme before building or running tests. But that was only an issue because they in- disabled implicit dependencies in their project for other reasons. But I ended up backing out of it and I can't, I'm not sure. I'm not sure why I said it in there. I was like, I'm going to go ahead and close this. I think it'd be nice, but it seems like it's more headache than it's worth. But it seems like Paul was actually trying to tell me that it wasn't a big deal. Now that I'm reading back on it. This is a while ago. This was in last November. So I don't know why I wouldn't just do this. Yeah. Let's both try it and see how it goes. I actually think your approach of instead of having one config that builds everything depending on and just switches based on whatever thing is linked to i actually think your approach is better long term right because by customizing it on a build configuration level you're separating those things out and by having multiple schemes it means that like one of the issues that i think we ran into is like dependencies then so like um, Argo, for example, uses Curry to run its tests, but I would have to then link Curry against all the targets. I can't remember if that was explicit or it was able to figure out what version of Curry to build. I guess it should be able to figure it out. Yeah, it should be. So I've never had to disable that, you know, finding... Implicit find, dependencies. Implicit build dependencies or, or whatever. And I've always been de- been able to parallelize my builds. Right. I did notice as I was poking around at other big projects to see how they like solve these sorts of problems, I kept looking at Reactive Coco. And Reactive Coco does pull in Argo. Is that right? I don't think Reactive Coco does. No. Carthage? Carthage does. And they they do not let it find implicit dependencies. They have both options turned off in the scheme. And everything is specified in order of what has to be built before you actually you know, get to build Carthage itself. Mm-hmm. In that build action of the scheme, it's explicitly let out. Argo has to get built. You know, Reactive Coco has to get built. Mm-hmm. They must have had a good reason for doing that. I'm not sure what it is. They do also have to, you know, build a framework for multiple platforms. Well, no, now I'm talking about, talking about Reactive Coco again. Right. <laughs> right. Very confused. I looked at a lot of projects this week. (laughs) Yeah. I think you convinced me to look into this again. 
because I do hate dealing with multiple. And like, if you look at the tests, like Argo's bin test script, we are doing, when we do bin test, we're building and testing for Mac iOS and the TV OS because the watch OS doesn't have test support. So for that one, we're just building it. But it, it has mm-hmm. always bothered me that we have to do all of those. Yeah. What I want to do is replace all this crap with Swift Package Manager, but we've already talked about, uh, like, I, I can't spend another episode talking about why I feel like that doesn't work. Although maybe, I don't know, man, maybe I should go back and look at that now instead. I don't know. I'm going to be honest. I'm not going to do any of this for a while. <laughs> well, no, you're not an iOS developer anymore. Why no. would you? I'm an Elixir developer now. It's great. la di da Think you're better than us? A little bit. That's fair. I, I was thinking about it a lot when we were talking a minute ago about how, like, just using the file system. Because every time, like, I'm just like, yeah, it's really nice to just write. I, so, okay, so let me back up. This past week, I've been on a, on an Elixir project, and I'm on an Elixir project for kind of the next month or so couple months i think and it's fun i'm having a great time i'm learning phoenix which is the web framework like rails for elixir and it's awesome it's been very very refreshing but like there have been a number of times over the past week where i've been like is this test being run and i'm like of course it is it's on the file system (laughs) in the right place so how could it not be but like I've had to fight off that instinct that I have of like maybe this isn't getting compiled. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like I'll run the compiler and it'll be like everything's okay and I'll run it again or like look into stuff that I shouldn't have to look into just because I don't trust compilers to tell me the truth right now. <laughs> How many times have you instinctively deleted your drive data? <laughs> when things go wrong <laughs> yeah. uh, i haven't actually it's been it's been good i did add a command to my dot files called which is funny because tom's gonna have to bleep that word so you're not gonna know what the command is until you look it up but um so that i can write phoenix and then it kills the phoenix server that might be running in some other pain other tmux pain because all that command does is it is like a p kill, which is p grep, which is like a process, like grep for a process and then kill it. So it like forcefully kills a, a process. So when you do Phoenix, it looks for the process name Phoenix and kills it, which is awesome. And I'm like really excited to use this command elsewhere when other things misbehave. I'm going to have to stop myself from going into like hitting the control command escape. Is that the keyboard combination? What's the keyboard for combination? What? Command for- option escape for force quit. Oh, yeah. But like I want to train myself to stop doing force quit and instead go over to my terminal to kill those things because it's more fun that way. It's just yeah. like a nice uh, – you feel better after killing something that way. You right. really do. That alias is such a good idea. I'd never considered creating my aliases in a way in which I can just naturally yell at my computer (laughs) to achieve tasks. It's so brilliant. It makes me want to look for other opportunities to do that. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Awesome. It is refreshing. I mean, I've been been joking about it a lot with people internally. 
But like really, like in all seriousness, it feels like vacation. Like one, I love, I'm like on this project and I'm learning so much. I'm working with designers and our designers are, you know, I just make something ugly and then I merge my pull requests. And then a few minutes later or a little while later, I get a pull request making it pretty. And it's like, wow, that is, that is very, very nice. That is so nice. But like all the tooling works and it works the way you expect. And like, I'm not fighting things or I don't feel like I'm fighting things all the time. It feels like it's something that was developed for developers. And there's a lot of that that feels new. You know what I mean? I don't know. APIs that just have, I feel like, and I'm not trying to shit on the work that Apple has done on this stuff, but it's just a really, really nice experience working on Phoenix right now. After having, you know, actually today's my four-year anniversary at ThoughtBot. So wow. um, I know, right? And then I saw another thing that said that I opened Xcode for the first time on like March 24th of 2010 or something like that. So like it's been a while where I've basically just been doing iOS. So moving over to a different platform and kind of like learning more new stuff and working with different tooling and stuff. I don't know. It's just, it's refreshing. Do you think you'll stick with it? Yeah, I'm actually, I'm really, I really am enjoying it. Like I really, really am. I think there are still languages that I would rather be working in. Like it's not my favorite language, but it's not a bad language. Like I actually probably still like Swift more, but Phoenix is not a bad language, not even close to a bad language. Right. And it's got a compiler. So it's checking it. It doesn't have a type system, not a real type system, but it's got a compiler. So it's checking a good amount of my work. It's functional. It's not a, pure functional language like Haskell, but it's functional. So testing things become very easy because you're just testing, you know, value in value out stuff. The syntax is nice. I can stick with it. Sad. (laughs) Why? (laughs) No, I mean, I'm not, I'm not, I'm, I don't think I'm done with iOS by any means. You know what I mean? Like I, I don't think I ever will be. It's like, I'm I'm sure I'll always do iOS and I'm not, I'm not going to stop doing iOS at ThoughtBot. Like I'm the mobile development director. That would be really weird, Um, but it is nice. I do like two things. One, I like currently being able to walk away from iOS a little bit. And I also like being able to be more flexible in my job, right? Where I'm not limited to just doing iOS projects. If our iOS business is slow, I would like to be able to move over to do something else, work on something else, you know? Yeah, that makes sense. And honestly, Phoenix and Elixir for me are like a means to an end, which, and that end is that I like those two things, right? I I would like to be more flexible and I would like to work on web projects is what it boils down to. Specifically web projects, just because that seems like the easiest thing to jump onto, you know? Right. And Phoenix and Elixir are a means to that end. I think if I had a choice and I, it was just like work in any language on anything that you would like to work on, I would choose probably Haskell and probably Yisode, right? Which is like the, the big Haskell web framework. But it's hard to sell people on a Haskell project. So, Well, I'm excited for you. You get to broaden your horizons a bit. Yeah. Maybe feel refreshed when you come back to iOS development. Yeah. And hopefully with more ideas, you know. 
Because like there's stuff in Elixir. There's definitely, and I I can't think of anything off the top of my head. It's been like a crazy week. I've been like up every night, kind of like working all day, and then coming home and reading the Phoenix book to like try to fill in any holes that I ran into that day. So I I can't think of anything off the top of my head, but I distinctly have this memory of like running into a couple things where I was like, I bet we could do something like that in Swift. Or I wonder what that would look like if we tried doing it in Swift. You know? Yeah. Are these architectural patterns? Yeah. Architectural patterns and libraries, that kind of thing. I thought I started a version of Factory Girl for iOS, for Swift, which is like making fakes. It's basically a way to easily make fake models. But I don't know. It must be in a gist or a project or something, and I just never extracted it. But like I've been interacting with our library Ex Machina, which is that same thing in Elixir. I've been working with that a lot, and it's just been really pleasant experience. And so it makes me want to go back and boot that project back up because that's what I really need is more open source Swift projects to manage. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Especially as you're writing less Swift. <laughs> right. Yeah. I, I think we could do a whole episode about patterns and things that you're learning in other frameworks and languages that you could possibly bring back, but we should probably not get into that today. We should wrap yeah. up. Yeah, I agree. Show notes for this episode are going to be found at buildphase.fm slash 108. And as always, we'd like to hear from you. So email us at hosts at buildphase.fm or reach out on Twitter at buildphase. And we really appreciate ratings and reviews on iTunes. Cool. All right, man. Awesome. Talk to you later. Yep. Later.